welcome to the first new episode of our new podcast, the first in an irregular podcast from Prometheus. Uh, we're a new journal focused on the discussion of ideas and the debates from across our movement and society to collectively find a way forward. My name is Chris Strafford and this episode was recorded in mid-September, but there was an unfortunate delay in getting this out into the ether. Uh, in the episode, I'm joined by my fellow editors, Rita Vakas and Edmund Potts, and we sat down and had a great chat with uh, Ben Lewis about all things Kautsky and communism. Ben is the author of four books, Clara Zetkin, Letters and Writings with Mike Jones, Kautsky on Colonialism with Mike McNair, Zinoviev and Martov Head to Head in Hala with Lars T. Lee. Um, he's also the author of numerous translations of academic papers on the Second International, uh, the Strategies of the Marxist Centre, and he's a member of the Communist Party of Great Britain, where you can find mountains of his work in the pages of uh, The Weekly Worker. Um, I suggest you check that out. Ben's latest book um, is Karl Kautsky on Democracy and Republicanism. Um, we have a review of that in our last edition uh, by Rita Vakas. Um, it's available from Haymarket and all the usual places now in paperback. Um, ben has recently started a Patreon to support his work called Marxism Translated. I'm going to put the link in the description. Um, so make sure you go and give Ben the equivalent of at least a pint a month there. Um, so we're going to go and jump straight into the discussion with Ben. And I hope you enjoy what you hear. Please subscribe and all feedback is welcome. So Ben, how are things going? How's things going with your new Patreon, new book, uh, fatherhood, marriage, work? How are you sleeping? <laughs> yeah, it, it adds up. You know, the funny thing about uh, publishing books, and this has happened to me on a, on a number of occasions now, you you get to speak on the book that you've just done, but actually this manuscript was submitted, I think, in 2015. So it's always one of these things where you think, okay, Karl Kautsky, you know, and <laughs> where were we with that one? So um, it's it's good now. I'm I'm getting back into the swing of things because the the paperback will be out, I think, in the middle of October. Um, so that's generating a little bit of interest. Uh, I've just done a big interview with Jacobin. Uh, which has been uh, so that I don't again that'll come out sometime in October. Um, so I'm getting back into it as it were and uh, and enjoying it and squeezing out the, the the time that I can with everything else at the moment to to work a bit more on it and yeah very much enjoying it. I think the uh, the Patreon's probably starting to hit its natural limits. I mean it is a fairly niche audience I think in terms of people interested, but it's very good that. Uh, there has been such interest already. I'm going to do, a, I think, I'm going to uh, kind of amend the uh, the membership tier slightly to give the, the cheap membership a bit more uh, a bit more love, as it were, um, and then hopefully get kind of more uh, uh, supporters on, on a kind of small amount of money. Because really, you know, it's um, money-wise now, I can I can kind of justify uh, spending a bit more time on this project, uh, which which is great. So I'm, I'm already about halfway through uh, something by Martov in I think 1910 um, on the mass strike debate. So that's that's been quite fun as well. I do like I do like Martov. Um, so um, yeah, I think that that gets us going, right? So yeah, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> good. So uh, more Martov. 
Yeah, Mulmatov, Mulmatov, absolutely. absolutely. Did you see that um, guy? There was a guy who did a GoFundMe that was going to do his um, uh, uh, memoirs from Russian into English, but I don't know if that came to anything in the end. There was a there was a guy in America. It's but, not another one of those take your money and run kind of GoFundMe, <laughs> is, is it? Yeah, it's like you, you wait for my Patreon and I'll be in the Cayman <laughs> Islands tomorrow or whatever with the, the hundred dollars or whatever. So, but yeah, that might be worth looking out for too. More Martov, more Martov definitely. Yeah, so it's good that you're into that you're getting into the pages of uh, Jacobin. You are setting yeah. the record straight. I mean, there's been quite a yeah. few Kautsky articles over the last few years. It's a uh, you know a little uh, cottage industry they've got going on there on <laughs> Kautsky, really. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because I, again, I haven't been, I haven't followed these things as closely as I probably would have liked to. Finishing a PhD and things like it just really took everything out of me with with a young child as well. So, the, the, you know, I really haven't kind of neglected my Kautsky work for a while um, and followed the things only tangentially. Uh, but I did a platypus panel, I think uh, maybe a week or two ago, which I was kind of very skeptical about. I thought, what, what's the point in this? This isn't going to be uh, very enjoyable. But actually, it was quite good. And one of the things that uh, it made clear to me was precisely how problematic the the Jacobinized Kautsky is, if you will, the Jacobinization of Kautsky. Um, and so that kind of focused my attention. And, and as kind of uh, luck would have it, I, at around the same time, I was writing up my um, my answers to the to the Jacobin uh, for the Jacobin interview, mm. and really try to try to bring that out as much as as possible. Because you know, while I welcome the fact that people are discussing Kautsky more and reading Kautsky more, more stuff is being translated, etc., uh, etc. Et there is, I think, a, a kind of a continued problem with. Uh, the way he is received right and portrayed so you know if i can annoy, annoy a few people on that score then then great yeah absolutely i mean there's a lot of cherry picking isn't there with um kautsky um maybe even maybe even those that support the marxist center you know the main strategy do a bit of cherry picking as well you know cleave his cleave his career from before yeah. 1914 that's right um, after without seeing it as a whole and um Obviously, there's a lot to learn from the whole the whole of his political career, isn't there? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's an easy figure to pick from in some ways, isn't it? Because he, mm. he has, you know, he, he wrote so much um, of very quality, of varied, you know, insight, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, on so many things. So that's all, that's always the problem. You can look at anyone in that set, you know, like Lenin has been deified and mm. uh, you know uh, and, and gone a particular way. Um, uh, but so, yeah, I think the, um, the Kautsky is going to have a, a similar um, a, a problem, I think. But that, that's history. All history is contested, especially, mm-hmm. you know, political history. So that's bring it on. <laughs> what, what, what would you say to those that are just, um, you know, we already know everything about Kautsky anyway. He's, uh, we know that when it came to the crunch, he failed, not just at 1914, but in 1918 as well, you know, um, what can we learn from this guy? Like, yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, it may, maybe um, it'd be good to ask a few of the others what you think as well. But for me, the uh, the, the main thing is the, the, the precise. The, what's precisely important about Kautsky is his failure, in the sense that you know what is he what is he failing on? What is he failing to live up to? Uh, why was it such a disappointment? Why was he such a disappointment to so many people? Um, and what should that tell us today? 
and I think that's the that's the key thing is that this guy embodied all that was healthy, all that was revolutionary, uh, all that was uh, you know progressive in the in, in in the second international from a Marxist perspective. Not that it's, he had he didn't have flaws and all the rest of it, especially with the benefit of hindsight. But certainly, you know, he represented many of the things that were were so brilliant about that movement, about that the, the SPD and and its the party movement internationally in the second international. And it's precisely the failure then that I think uh, um, needs to, uh, is significant, right? So, so, Mm. and then, as you said, with the cherry picking question, people can then take that in different ways. And and it seems to me that for the, the the term old Bolshevik is slightly uh, uh, misused and abused, but certainly the core of the Bolshevik leadership around Lenin, Zinoviev, Kamenev, et cetera, um, for, for them, Stalin, uh, you have to include as well, right? For, for you know, yeah. for, for for those thinkers, Kautsky, you know, and Babel. I mean, that they love Babel. Uh, you know, the, the, the classic quote of "Give me, give me one hundred Babels, and we'll have a Russian revolution." You know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was a eighty Babels, hundred. You know, one would be nice at the moment. <laughs> one um, would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but that was the you know. It's, so, but for them, that was the that's the ABC of of the revolutionary strategy that they deployed, and that that explains the anger. That explains the hatred. That explains the the vilification of Kautsky quite deservedly. Uh, but it seems to me it's partly a generational thing. Uh, younger yeah. people, Bukharin, etc. You know, they would. They, you know, Lenin would quote Kautsky at the you know the, the anniversary of the Russian Revolution, and and especially younger comrades that you know they'd be like, who? Why the hell is this guy talking about? Mm. Ka- you know, this this is an organization, or this is this guy represents now an organization that in some places you know are essentially responsible for killing our comrades, right? Or certainly march, et cetera, et cetera. So what's the point here? And I think, you know, for, for all sorts of reasons that we, we, we can, or if we want to go into that, that, that kind of, the, the failure of Kautsky and its significance has been lost to us today, right? Absolutely. It's almost that, and again, it's the kind of the classical thing you have, particularly in um, intellectual history, the history of ideas, is that there's always these kind of teleological lines drawn backwards and forwards and perhaps sideways to uh, about you know the ideas uh, uh, leading to an inevitable conclusion etc that are uh, deeply problematic for somebody like Kautsky. Um so that's what yeah. makes him interesting as a, as a as a figure and I think that's probably what will make him uh, continue to be a, a, a controversial figure, even from the people that are kind of learning and saying, "Well, actually, there is more to Kautsky than we've uh, we've acquired in our far left uh, education." Uh, but it, I think even for those, there will be a, you know an ongoing uh, 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 question and, and struggle about that. Yeah, because you've been on this for many, 13, 14, 15 years of work now of uh, trying to recovering second international yeah. history and translating and what have you. And um, obviously Rita and Ed are also in, uh, involved in that work as well. Ed's currently uh, working on a, a long translation of a Babel speech to the Reichstag. Yeah. Um, Ed, you've, 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 got, you've got quite far on that, haven't you? Um, but, uh, is that the one you sent me, Ed, or is it? Is it is yeah. So I so I so I sent that to Ben to to have a look at, and uh, it's something that was published as a as a pamphlet. Um, there was a big debate uh, in eighteen ninety three um, when basically the 
this sort of liberal and, con and conservative parliamentarians went on the attack against the social democrats and said well you know what are you actually proposing you know you just come here to make speeches and babel counters with this long speech where he, he sets out well he sets out any number of things really but you know uh, sets out the kind of the socialist vision of transformation um, he then gives a second speech as well, which I'm yet to translate, and, and Wilhelm Liebknecht also gives a speech in the debate as well. So it's it's a real example of not only the political confidence and, and strength of the social democratic movement, but also uh, I think the particular role to be played by parliamentarians as, as tribunes to the masses, which is something that's really lost on the left today. So So that's my aim with translating that to try and recover some of those arguments yeah good stuff yeah what i thought was interesting in both your introduction and in your in the main body of the text then your new book which uh Ritter, um points out is on referendums and obviously that's super yeah super important for us at the moment you know um considering where the fuck we um ended up after 2016 um you know there's organizations of uh of our comrades who specifically drawing lines in sands on where, which way you voted in a referendum when the referendum clearly was against, you know, all of our interests and the working class's interests. Um, you know, that lesson from Kautsky in your book, I mean, how hard is it for the left to, to relearn those lessons? I mean, most will say that, you know, that we're in a completely different time, things have changed altogether. I mean, really, what do you think? I think one of the like problems with referendums that Kautsky could like foresee quite clearly was that they they're not you know they don't determine a program they're not about carrying through a program they're about single issues completely unconnected from a wider set of policies in which those issues are going to be decided and you can obviously see that with Brexit like you know, everyone who voted leave had very different ideas of what leaving meant. Um, people who voted remain had basically no coherent idea of what remaining meant except we'll stay in the EU. And you've got you've got a really weird situation in the Labour left especially in which kind of the sort of like Labour remain camp, even the kind of most radical end of it and other Europe as possible, kind of does end up just tailing kind of bourgeois liberal forces because those are the only kind of those are the only people with the um institutional force to carry forward a strategy yeah and i mean we will see that again in scotland if um things continue to go the way they're going and we can see obviously sections of the left immediately lining up behind Nicola Sturgeon, um, you know, to get that done. Um, and there's not a single working class voice, independent working class voice amongst all of that. Um, you know, the Labour Party is most likely going to be, well, as much as it is a representative of the working class, going to be obviously smashed to pieces. Um, yeah. 
I think the um the the the, the strength of 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 the the, the stuff on uh, I, I think of the texts I've translated the parliamentarism in one in many ways is the more problematic and I think there are some issues with it right and uh, you know uh, Mike McVeigh did a good review basically just dumping on Kautsky in, in various ways for his uh, uh, kind of uh, um, you know liberalish conception of democracy. I, I do have differences with Mike on this. We've debated them on, on several occasions, but I do think it, it is a slightly problematic uh, uh, overview of democracy. But nonetheless, I think the the, the stuff on referenda referenda um, is precisely as you say very very important, um, and it does kind of bring out the it's very much in the tradition of Marx and Engels on that question as well you know they basically uh saw referenda as the embodiment of Bonapartism essentially right and you look at referenda historically I mean Hitler Khomeini yeah. you know there, there are other you know Cameron I mean I don't put the three together, you know, uh, but uh, you know, you know they, they don't have a particularly strong you know they don't have a particularly strong record. There are counterexamples. That, so there are times, for example, in the Weimar Republic where the KPD successfully pushed for uh, a referendum on wealth tax, right? Which again, mm. tactically, so it, it's not that, you know, you go back to these, these texts and then you, they give you the kind of answers for everything and you just need, you know, that's, that's, that's a problem. But I do think it raises the fundamental question of, you know, what is the approach of the working class? And, and single issue politics is not necessarily in the interest of, of the of, of the working no. class right you, you can ally with certain people on certain questions etc etc but Kautsky makes two fundamental points he says one referenda tend to uh, soften uh, class contradictions so they there's a there's a confusion there and one which is directly relevant certainly uh, to today and, and brexit whatever is that they underlie they undermine class parties as a, 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 a going in hand in hand, what you know, whatever you you see is that what the Labour Party is as some kind of representation of political representation of the working class. That clearly is, you know, been one of the things that's absolutely you know drove driven a, a wedge through it and and weakened it. Uh, not that I buy the oh it was all Brexit for, for the election etc. But it clearly was a huge problem right for that organization so i think those are the two things i would say but just you know the the, the point i would make i i think when i started off as a you know naive what it may be 24 year old uh, on this i always thought to myself ah this is how the left is going to change i'm going to do my bit i'm going to make them read this stuff and then things will get better and unfortunately that isn't how it works you know it's you know we can we can learn from these and strength but yeah, it's yeah. it's political struggle i mean you know that's the, mm. the end of the day and you know you know opportunism has a very short memory i mean we're also you know just again in in light of recent events you know the the recent lrc conference you know while well, we, yeah. we we don't we, we don't talk about what what happened now we need to move move on yeah. and you know so you know it's it, it, it's a it, you know I, I think that can be um certainly an illusion i had to be honest mm. with you uh you know if i get enough of this material out there um it's gonna it's gonna move things along it's not that it hasn't it's certainly posed some questions and, mm. and but you know fundamentally it's about a political struggle uh but i mean i mean there is also a a widening base of people who are interested in these ideas. I mean, I was shocked to read, well, I was pleased as well, but I was shocked to read that DSA groups in, uh, I think it was Texas, are reading Mike McNair's uh, yeah. book on revolutionary strategy. And obviously we could see different comrades from around the world engaging in projects. Uh, yeah. 
you know, similar vein, you know, um, or, or looking at uh, Second International again and Kautsky and what the Marxist centre really was. And uh, so I don't think you should beat yourself up too no, much. No, I'm, I'm but, not. I mean, I mean, I'm great. I mean, when you look at the left, I mean, you think, fucking hell. <laughs> no, that, that's right. Um, that's right. It's um, but you know, it, it, all I would say, it, it's it's a good point you raise. There is there is more interest. People have you know actually they've got the material before them for for, for starters, right? Because mm. you know for for all sorts of uh, reasons, German isn't the isn't you know German isn't, isn't even taught in schools as far as I know now. Actually, unless you go to public school, pretty much in this country, it's uh, you know you know this material is going to be less and less uh, accessible in in if it stays kind of in its original form. Um, but but like I say, it's the generally the response to the extent there has been one, you know, is generally uh, dodges the bullet and doesn't really mm. really deal with the questions. But you know, at least at least it's raising some questions. You know, it's not that it's the the answer in and of itself, but it does it does pose some difficult questions for you know an increasingly um, unthinking, I would say, and uh, um, ambitious left. But yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Having read, um, having read you, your most recent book, uh, or your book that's coming out now, and previous things that have been published by or, or about Kautsky, um, I, I suppose one thing that leaps out is constantly is the, the the political context in which Kautsky and the Social Democrats were operating in Imperial Germany, um, in which. The Social Democratic Party was repressed um, to a greater or lesser extent, um, subject to unfair suffrage laws and and all of these things, and and so that that was always put front and center of their struggle. Um, is is my understanding that they they said first we need to conquer political liberty. You know, all of that is is lighter there for the the Social Democratic movement, and. Uh, so I, I, I wanted to ask you a few questions about that, but I suppose the first one is um, if, if we take uh, the, the early Kautsky, the Kautsky before he became a renegade, um, what do you think he would have made of the failure of uh, so the socialist movement to capitalise on political liberty and, and universal suffrage when they were in, introduced in most Western countries? Okay, I, I suppose there'd be two levels to answer that question. We should probably first of all look at what he did say, but albeit very uh, briefly and schematically in, say, 1919, 1920, 21, because in a sense, he can claim consistency. And I think he does have some valid points against the, the young uh, Bolshevik regime when it's not, not Bolshevik plus left SR. Um, and the franchise is restricted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are some fundamental points there that he can say. Look, I've always raised this point about the significance of democracy. There can be no uh, socialism without democracy, and vice versa. Um, and, and so, in that sense, I think it's it's worth uh, picking that up because he would say that this is where I'm. Con I've been a consistent advocate of this my entire life. Look at my co commentary on the Airfoot program. Look at my commentary now on 1922 on the new program. Many Marxists have forgotten this, including in the SPD, you would say, uh, and have failed to recognise the significance of this. And clearly, he's, he's got a then uh, a, a big uh, kind of issue with the Bolsheviks on this question. Um, and I think, you know, 
in many ways some of the things he says aren't unjustified right there's clearly there's there's problems in in, in with democracy in in, in russia the um but the, 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 and this is the, the the important caveat i suppose in so doing kind of sneakily he then actually um guts democracy and its content to essentially a an acceptance of uh bourgeois coalitionism which was a fundamental pillar of his thought uh, previously uh, before uh, the the renegacy as it were um and but again with the view of saying look we are not yet a majority so you know in 1980 in 1919 sorry the spd win what like 30 something percent of the vote 36 i don't have the figures to hand it's it's high 30s i think uh they, they get a very good vote um but they obviously can't form a government so the way he spread in in the past he would have said okay this is proof of the fact that the socialist revolution is coming we're almost there you know we've almost got a visible clear majority whereas now he's saying well given the fact that this is a, a crisis state a revolutionary state that's just come into existence we now kind of need to do a block in the name of socialism because it kind of is a socialist state he says as well bizarrely um so let's say there's this a certain consistency there and he can say well you know i've always said this but the the the, the content of it does change and does shift in a way that he doesn't really account for beyond saying, oh, well, now these are, these are exceptional circumstances, which is always the, uh, uh, the, the, the kind of excuse, uh, uh, you know, that's grasped at by, by all of these people justifying uh, coalition, as he would well know, because he pointed it out to them uh, years before. So hopefully that, that kind of gets to the, the, I think answers the question is, was, you know, was it a failure to live up to that? Well, certainly he would say yes, because he would say the Bolsheviks have failed to live up to uh, all the things that they, is kind of the common sense of Western European social democracy. I'm upholding that also against some of the, uh, the people in the SPD, right? Because again, he's not exactly the leading voice of the SPD in the, in the early 1920s. He's not, um, you know, in many ways he's, he's, he's on its left, Broadly speaking, I know the SPD is, is shifting ever rightwards, but he, he's, he, by, by the early 1920s, he, his, his book on uh, the, uh, the Heidelberg program, he, he says in the introduction, I've basically been overlooked. Nobody's listened to me on this. Um, so you know, he would definitely see it as a failure to, to, to have lived up to that. But in so doing, there's a, there's a shift in content, I think. Okay, yeah. And, and so, I mean, in terms of the, the progression of his own life, I mean, you know, clearly the, the, the Russian party was uh, split factionally um, in, a, in a much more formal way than, than the German party was, or, or much earlier anyway than the German party was. And uh, do you think that perhaps in, in terms of the, the way his, his life turned out and, and becoming a renegade, that uh, it's one of those cases where potentially um, the the political differences were perhaps not so not fatal initially but then were exacerbated by the the pressures of the you know the, the situation of inside russia the civil war and the demands of that I'm, I'm thinking of the fact that he um he was quite sort of close and supportive of the georgian social democrats wasn't he um who were basically mensheviks in, in my understanding and, and set up a sort of independent Georgian Republic, which was then repressed by uh, by the Bolsheviks and invaded, I think. And so it, 
is it one of those cases where um, he was kind of set set on a path, you know, set on a trajectory away um, from Bolshevism, but could, if events had turned out differently, that he he could have remained closer to a sort of parallel path. So is it is it down to sort of his personal views and his personal development, or or, or was his politics always going to take that direction? I think fundamentally, um, you you can't answer that question aside from saying it's it, it's life that decides. You, at, certain, at a certain point, you take you take a decision, right? You 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 make a decision, you stand by it, and you go with it. And it seems to me that Karaksky in 1914 not only took the wrong decision, um, because you know you could, if things had turned out differently in the war, if if just hypothetically, if if Germany hadn't beaten off the Russian offensive in the east, and you know, and and actually had been invaded on some level, right through the Prussian corridor, the, the the social democratic vote on war credits looks a bit different. I'm saying I'm not saying it's then justified; it was the right thing to do. But you know, think the, these are contingent developments that could have gone in different ways, right? But the the problem for me is that it's not that he just chose the the wrong the wrong approach because he was trying to in some ways he was trying to say well I stand in the tradition of Babel and Liebknecht who did abstain uh, on on the uh, on the Prussian Franco War credits which was a complicated issue as well actually in terms of the role of the aggressor and the aggressor different question but that was the kind of tradition he was looking to hold but it seems to me that the as as uh, life then drives forward. The nature of the war becomes clear. The revolutionary uprising, etc., start to unfold. He never really goes back on that decision. And worse, in some ways, I mean, the, the, and this is—is uh, is it a reflection of his theoretical collapse, or is it uh, is is the decision a, a reflection of that? Who, who, it's probably a bit of both. But he's certainly by—I um, I can't remember exactly when he publishes the uh, ultra imperialism pamphlet, but it's maybe July nineteen fourteen. Maybe June. We could we, we could look that up. It's certainly the summer of 1914. Where basically he's arguing that you know uh, uh, the capitalist powers will not go to war. That to me is an absolute you know collapse uh, uh, of, of somebody who you know all his life. One of the things he's very good at is the 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 the, 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 the interrelationship between war and revolution. The fact that the war is coming. Uh, we don't exactly know what it will look like, and that will have huge ramifications probably coming from the east to the west which is basically how it turned out um and so so yeah it's i think there is a general or there is a a gradual perhaps better way to put it a gradual uh, um decay in his ideas that partially reflects an accommodation to the leadership so for example in the road to power which you know many people correctly cite as as an excellent uh, revolutionary text. I can't remember the, the, the guy who uh, did the introduction. I think his name was Fulbert, a German scholar who basically showed through the correspondence how the, the SPD leadership uh, made him rewrite key sections of that pamphlet and the instruction so and and that's where a lot of people are saying look uh, Zetkin really has a go at him for that and says you cannot be dictated by these people you have to say what you think. Uh, and that has ramifications for the the, the nineteen ten discussions, etc. Which you know, I think some people think is, you know, oh, Rosa Luxemburg brilliant, Karl Kautsky, you know, because you know we can talk about that again. Maybe it's uh, going off the topic slightly, but the um, 
but so I think I think there is a general theoretical de degeneration and, and a collapse symbolized by 1914 and then subsequently there is no turning back because history is going in different ways um, and you know I, I do I do remember having said that one occasion where um, Lenin was hoping uh, with all his might that Kautsky would appear at the I think it was the second Congress of the comment and again i don't have the facts and dates to me here so apologies it's been a while since i've worked on this stuff uh, and he, he he wanted to give him personally a copy of the proletarian revolution and the, and the renegade kautsky and discuss it with him because you know, Len, you know lenin still thought maybe we can make this guy see the error of his ways by showing him his own history maybe it's a bit like you know i say today maybe we can show the left its error of its ways by <laughs> showing it yes but um uh, but it didn't turn out. Uh, but I just think life life is a size. You make a choice and, uh, and, and you know, you go with it. And Kautsky really uh, thought that that was the correct thing to do. And, uh, and that, that, is, that is in its own way quite tragic. And, and in, in a way, he never, he was never really taken seriously again, actually. Uh, for, uh, you know, so because the, the left didn't like him clearly, but also the SPD right were always suspicious of him. Like, why is this guy going on about Marxist programs and uh, you know the, all this kind of stuff? <laughs> you know, and, and he says, "I'm I'm I'm basically marginalised now." So he paid the, he paid the cost for it in in that sense as well. He lost a lot of his influence on you know he was probably the the most significant thinker of the time in terms of uh, the socialist movement. Uh, as Lenin says, read far more in Russia, maybe even in Germany. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think so. I think I think it's a decision that's made that's dictated by life itself, but also a reflection of uh, some things that have been going on for some time. And uh, I, I suppose finally, it, it, you mentioned showing the left the error of its ways, and and so on that uh, on that topic, um, in terms of the. Uh, the, the the translation on, on parliamentarism and, and democracy. Um, I, I found it quite interesting reading that how a, a sort of nascent critique of bureaucracy emerges and and in some ways it's quite developed. In in, in other ways it's you know I guess it's it's very early kind of uh, critique which doesn't take account of what would be later historical developments in in the workers movement and, and how bureaucratized it, it would become. Um, uh, but I thought that was very interesting to see the sort of things he, he was advocating and how on some levels he was very advanced and, and some others potentially quite naive. And I was just wondering if, if you had any thoughts on um, how the left has gone from this kind of uh, this theoretical high point of, of understanding uh, the nature of the state in, in quite a developed way. Uh, and putting forward a political program, you know, with the minimum maximum that that talks about the need uh, to go beyond the bourgeois state, and also having, you know, uh, people were sitting down and think, thinking seriously as as well about the problem of democracy within workers' organisations, be that the party, the trade unions, uh, the press, and 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 all of this, and and how, uh, and and I was wondering if you have any thoughts about why the left since that time has, has come to care so little about the issue, issue of democracy, be that uh, republicanism, which uh, barely has any kind of traction as, a, as an issue on the left in, in Britain, um, freedom of speech, all of these things that the left doesn't really want to talk about. And if you have any thoughts as to 
how that kind of all changed and how that those became unpopular issues. Okay, I, that's a huge question. I, the um, mm -hmm. where it comes from, I suppose, uh, in summary, uh, the, the, let's, let's talk about the downplaying of republicanism and democracy, which I think, and I think I've probably shown this on 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 some level anyway, that you know is is basically a, a red thread running through. You know, the Marxist tradition. I'm always kind of con uh, kind of uh, wary of that term "red thread." You know, the, the classic thing of like Marx, Engels, Trotsky, Grant, or Woods. Or, you know, the, the pictures. You know, all these kind of because you know Marxism doesn't work like that. But I, I think the the the, the key um, one of the key concepts of Marxist political struggle, republicanism, has been lost, and I think it's for a number of reasons. Clearly, from the Soviet side of things. Uh, there's, there's not too much talk about democracy, um, even from the middle of the 1920s. Certainly, by the you know the 30s, these things are um, they're, they're not significant. They're downplayed. Um, and in 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 the the West, I suppose the best way of looking at it is to look at the, what you talked about with the minimum maximum program. I talk about a little bit more about this in the Jacobin interview, but it seems to me that for all sorts of reasons, and actually historically quite important ones and justifiable reasons, the minimum program came to be seen either as the, the basis of uh, governmental or uh, coalition type uh, popular front politics uh, in the 1930s in particular, um, so a kind of minimal program, right? Because so the, 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 the official communist movement still did talk in, in minimum programs, uh, actually. Um, but that, that's what they kind of meant with it. And on the other side, Kautsky himself is quite important here, because as I've, as I've pointed out before in, uh, earlier on in this discussion, um, the minimum program for him becomes essentially a stepping stone. It, it's kind of, uh, uh, it's, it's a justification for bourgeois coalitionism in the 1920s. That's the SPD in 1922, which he isn't even the leading voice of, let alone the SPD in 1959 when it abolishes any uh, reference to Marxism in its programs. The SPD of 19. 99 or 97 or whatever you know th these things have been quite rightly seen as well these are past portrayal for the working class right these are minimum programs that uh, that mean nothing and so i suppose that's one key thing and then it's the, the there are various factors that flow from that then you know the uh, obviously trotskyism is important in this country at least in britain um uh, which kind of basically argues i mean so there are there are different versions of it but basically argues that there is no such thing as a revolutionary minimum program there are variants on that some some slightly more nuanced and, and, and clever discussions of it um and that therefore um what you need is a program that essentially blurs the distinction between the two which effectively means war communism if you think about it but actually what it means is we have some minimal demands we start with the masses are at and then we go from there etc so, so in that sense also the struggle for democracy is downplayed because if you think that um you can mobilize people into a, a movement to challenge the state um on that very limited basis then democracy actually isn't shouldn't be important right because it's just going to take care of itself so i th there are there are a whole load of factors here you could talk about the new left as well um you know western marxism Korsh, lukash etc there's that there's that uh, tradition too but i think fundamentally um 
the, the 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 Western and Eastern reception of the of the of the minimum program and and republicanism democracy are, are most important. And also, it has to be said, just generally, that the, the theoretical, organisational, uh, political decline of the left, which we're still living through, um, and you know, we'll see where it goes. So, the, but it, it's a, it's a huge question, and like I say I, I don't claim to have all the answers. And I did write a fair bit on it in the in the Jacobin interview, which is a bit more coherent than what I've just given now. But just you know, there, there is a lot. It's kind of a very overdetermined thing, I suppose, from from all sorts of angles. I mean, the, the, the rejection of democratic. Sorry, the, re- the rejection of democratic demands and what have you is kind of mad considering the main movements of the last 10, 20 years have all been political movements as opposed to industrial movements. You know, the anti-war movement, for better or worse, the anti-capitalist movement, again, for better or worse, you know, the Sanders uh, campaign in the States, Jeremy Corbyn in Britain. You know, these have all been all political movements, like, as opposed to just you know, bog standard, run-of-the-mill, bread-and-butter um, trade union demands. Not that these aren't important, but in terms of how they, in terms of mobilising people in the current period, it, it has been the big political questions, you know. Um, so the, the, the constant reliance on, you know, the bread-and-butter and the, the day-to-day trade union work as, the, as being the, the driving force of any um, re- return of the left is clearly clearly been proved false over the last 10, 20 years. The other problem we have, obviously, is movementism. But, I mean, that's a whole question in itself, isn't it? Um, no, I mean, you know, we, we, you're just constantly told this is this is the way to socialism. It's keeping it simple. It's not starting from what we think, because that doesn't matter what, you know, the, again, the, the classic John Reese formulation, what matters is to people out there. And, of course, they matter. <laughs> that's that's the, the material we want to organise with to change society. But it's, it's where you start from. And I think that's the significance of looking at things like the Airfoot programme. Again, not that it's kind of some holy document we have to you know uh, dust off and hand out to the masses it's just you know thinking differently about these about these questions and you know the idea that basic simple demands will lead us to socialism we would have been there a long time ago you know the kautsky would have done it you know the 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 the, the austrians would have done it they got pretty close actually <laughs> but you know the, but it, it's it, it would already happen and we wouldn't be sitting here talking about what we're talking about you know so so I think that what is um, sort of fairly like central to pre-1914 Kautsky's conception of politics and political struggles is the importance of building an independent working class party, which is why he comes down so hard against the French socialists for entering into a government Um with the butcher of the Paris Commune, and obviously, like the Republican social Fra- the, the Republican social democracy in France is just like it's a, it's like a really excellent polemic. He's just really sharp. He, he, he basically tears down all the kind of excuses they've made for themselves, and being like, this is not, this is this is not a way forward, and you can't you can't use the justification of a emergency to to do this and but and i think like for example like any kind of leftist today would basically think you know the french socialists they were pretty bad weren't they um but so much of leftism today relies on 
coalitionism so you obviously have SPD is not like necessarily the greatest example of a leftist thing but obviously you have the GroKo you even have the Linker going into coalitions in Germany you have Podemos which is left populist coalitionism and then you kind of have the interminable debates about whether a leftist would advocate a vote for Joe Biden um, and it's what do you think Kautsky would have to say about um, about coalitionism in the present day? Well, I suppose the the instant response to what he would think is which which Kautsky are we are we talking yeah. about? I, I th- but 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 having said that, even you know even let's talk about Kautsky in nineteen twenty two talking about the SPD program. As I say, for him, even then, you know, the the, the fundamental point would be. The only way to go forward is that you have uh, a mass organization, working class party, based on a Marxist program. That's what he sees himself as doing in 1922. There are problems there with the way he then. Um, so it's a little bit of feedback. Sorry. There, there are there are problems then with um, you know how he formulates that, etc. But I, in, in in terms of coalition, one one thing I would say is that for Kautsky, what today looking at something like the, the the u.s democrats there's there's a wonderful essay by Kautsky called uh, the american worker and i think it's again i should have uh, had my dates in front of me i think it's 1908 but i might be wrong again the, the, people can correct in the in the the, the podcast comments or whatever, but it's, it's a fantastic essay and one of the points he makes is that for for, for several reasons uh, america is becoming the most advanced in, uh, economic country in the world, but it's politically the most backwards. And then he compares that with Russia. He says Russia is one of the most backward countries. It, it wasn't, but in, in the imagination of the second international, that's what, you know, that's what it amounted to, right? This, this, there's a whole load of other countries uh, beyond that, but that's, that's beside the point. But he says, look, Russia is so backward economic, but politically it's so advanced because it has a workers' party. Right. And one of the things he looks at is why did the Americans not have a workers party? And that's still the case today. Right. So you can you can actually um, you can, you know, without being too uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, instrumentalist about it, you can certainly say that Kautsky today would be very skeptical of saying, oh, the Democrats come to power under X leader or Y leader with the squad behind it, et cetera. Because you know, again, this is a different, it's a different world of politics for him. And that's what he's trying to deal with in, in 1908, 1910, whenever it is. So why, why is it, why is this uh, situation as it is and how can that change? And in many ways that is a, uh, quite, that, that posing that question, maybe with different answers today is, is still highly relevant. So the, the coalition of uh, coalitionism of, uh, of Democrats, Biden, et cetera. I mean, to me, it's just, it's just crazy because as I, as I said in the, in the, 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 the panel on uh, with the Jacobin comrade, you know, even for Ber- everyone kind of shits on Bernstein as this horrible revisionist, you know, um, Miller on this, as you say, the left is all happy to sell the French socialists. They were terrible, weren't they? Miller on ooh, Bernstein. But actually, if you you know, you've got to be fair to these people as well. Like Bernstein, again, in in across his whole life, did advocate a form of Workers' Party based on a form of a Marxist program that you know would would bring about and yeah, and that again to 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 then say that that somehow finds itself a reflection in. 
the squad and the debates about the Democrats, I think, is 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 incredibly misleading. Obviously, the, the tactical questions about how you raise these things and what will become of the the Sanders movement, where it goes, and how you intervene those those are all you know big questions that need to be dealt with. But to put them to equate them with the strategy of and the, the, the word is always unconsciously. So AOC is unconsciously challenging the energy of uh, Babel or whatever. You know, come on. Um, so I think that I think that's what Kautsky would say, and I think that's probably what Bernstein would say. I'll I'll put that out there. Um. <laughs> I mean, a Bernstein led Workers' Party today would be a godsend compared would, to what we have right now. It would be something to work with. When it? it would be something <laughs> yeah. to work with for sure. I mean, um, you know, that's that's all you that's all you can say um, is that you know you would have something to 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 work with. You know whether it would be something something actually a bit more like we have today in terms of the Labour Party is another question, but certainly it would be it would be something to work with, and, and there would be some ideas to engage with on some level. And I think one of the I think there's almost kind of a historical optimism in, present in Kautsky and a lot of. Um, the SPD. Um, I mean, this is obviously extremely evident because they think capitalism was going to imminently collapse. Um, but in terms of the Workers' Party, when you when you encounter a lot of like leftists today, they seem to have almost given up on the idea that you can build a Workers' Party. So we are, we're kind of trapped in these kind of interminable debates of, uh, hmm, is it like socialist to vote for Joe Biden? Oh, it's like, you know, AOC basically the modern day Babel just because people people think for whatever reason that um that building a workers' party is kind of historically ruled out and this is like why we kind of have to go for these cheap substitutes. Um and I think that's a sort of thing that kind of um brings me to even like you know post 1918 Kautsky is in many cases kind of a radical improvement on the kind of leftism we have today um like you know even in 1933 he's writing about the party and the necessity of democracy in the party um I think he writes um in his an, a new program he writes that basically there is no party that is like as um democratic as the SPD and the least inclined to forming dictatorships of the party and this is obviously again somewhat of a sort of rose-tinted eye viewed but it's rose-tinted rose-tinted glasses not eyes um, <laughs> um but um he's when you um again look at the left today there are so there is so little of that kind of sort of impulse to say you know we need to have democratic structures in our workers party that it you i i don't know I, i'm trying to like not sound depressed here um <laughs> but how do we kind of how do we kind of say that kautsky has something relevant to say to you know a left that has kind of Broadly given up on the things his entire basis for successful strategy is built upon. 
it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because the, you know the uh, the immediate response would be yes, he talks about democracy, but it's not workers' democracy, you know, all the stuff, and and, it, and it's complicated. But but I think I think you're absolutely right. And this one thing that I I'm not saying I'm a kind of Panglossian optimist, certainly in, 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 at, at the moment, but but there is something that's been lost, and again, it's it's the product of history. It's the product of the the historic defeats of the working class in the 20th and early 20 uh, uh, no 21st century uh, you know the ongoing uh, defeats that we're facing and and as you say it's it's, it's more as, as more and more of this comes the the scope of ambition or vision is narrowed with it so it's like oh we've lost again now with that little short uh, term probably we should make it a little bit less ambitious the next time around and that's obviously simplifying things because I, things don't move like that they're, 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 they move in contradiction and everything and there'll be leaps and, and changes here but I think that's absolutely right and, and people say to me what can you learn from Kautsky and I say well it's, it's what you can learn from Lenin it's basically that you know you have to have long-term ambition you have to start what you have to start with what do we need to do and you know when do we need to do it by and how do we think about getting there that's where you should start from even if it is you know the the the, the editorial board of iskra which was five people for you know uh, that's where you that you start with what you need to do and you build around there and i think that's the, you're absolutely right this 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 just this just this embrace of defeat this is embrace of you know this is our lot really uh and strangely enough this now coupled with the um the, the real sense of urgency and immediacy with which we have to solve these problems which is absolutely uh correct um kind of makes that even worse so we run a bit faster doing the same stuff that you know we've done and uh, you know it's not that i'm saying i'm proposing all the answers here but i think there are different ways of going about things um that have been tried and they've also failed it has to be said right that this the failure of the second international was a failure it did result in uh, 1917 but that also failed um but you know they but they at least got somewhere to the point where um People in, you know, I'm reading a great book at the moment on uh, um, Hamburg police spies going around pubs uh, noting what the workers were saying to each other, right? But people, you know, everyday people, you know, the, the, the you know, the so-called you know, common, common man or whatever was talking about socialism and it was kind of some impression of that idea was in, was in their heads, right? And that, that's, that's the point for me is it's, it's, it's patience, but it's ambition. And I think that's the, the key thing. If you read, you know, and I, and I think that, you're, you know, that has, that has been lost. So there's one thing I would say, you know, the, the, there was a real ambitious project. It was also long term, because if, even if you think about Russia, Russia, everybody expected that Tsarism would fall relatively quickly. How it was going to go, what was going to result, uh, become the result from it. Uh, was was slightly unknown. There were huge debates about that, but even for Russia, if you think about Russia, it was always seen as part of a longer term European transition, right? And again, there's problems with limiting to, to Europe in that sense and, and America, but that was the that was the long term thing. There was going to be no proletarian rule in Russia 
for a long time, unless it depending unless Germany went because you know it's ninety percent peasantry. So that, that that's got to be a soft, smooth you know transition gradually to you know to, to to a higher form of society that's crucially dependent upon the European Revolution. So it was it was a they started with where do we you know what's our long term aim and how do we then work around that and build towards it. And I think that's what the the left kind of needs to get off the, the the hamster wheel or the carousel or whatever and just take stock for a minute and think okay what can we concretely do to um to start putting that back on the agenda and that, that's not an easy uh question to solve and it's not something as i alluded to before that you can do in a kind of idealistic or historical sense of saying well you know here's here's Kautsky. even in 1990 even in 1933 you know um it's it's a product of what we what we struggle for, but uh, but I do agree. There's a, there's a huge loss of ambition and acceptance of defeat. I wanted to uh, to jump in there if that's all right, and and we can kind of revisit any any points that got missed maybe later. But I mean, in in, in terms of that, you know, what 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 our model is. I mean, it, it strikes me that the recent scholarship um, of which you've been a part uh, about. Leninism and the the influence of the Second International on on Leninism and and, and all of that um, has really done a lot. I think um, to make clear to people uh, because the majority of people who have, have read the ideas of Lenin and, and Trotsky, you know, will will be in democratic centralist sects of one kind of another, at least in, in this country. And I think it's done a lot to uh, dispel the myths that surround those ideas um, and to lay the, the groundwork for uh, showing people that actually the, the, the model of the Bolshevik party is, is not something that can be carbon copied and, and dropped into today's context and things definitely yeah, the, the party model won't be immediately applicable here, and uh, in the same way, a, a, any re revolution in this country in this period will not turn out like 1917 did. Um, and I think those have been some really important lessons to learn. What I'm wondering about is what we should be wary of in terms of the the second international mass party model of which the SPD was the stereotype, what what elements of that should be, we be wary of copying too closely uh, in what, whatever we try to build in this context? What, sh what should we avoid mimicking or, or aping too closely? It's a thorny question. Leninism, Bolshevism, the Bolshevik model versus the second international model, etc., etc. The, the one of the things that was uh, an IBT very nicely said. I'm not quite sure if Ben and the CPGB calls himself Leninist anymore, and as a kind of jibe. And I would say the, the more I think about this, actually, I, I, I'm happy to call myself a Leninist. Actually, in, in, in you know, I'm often as a kind of um, provocation in many ways right um but it seems to me that the the whole concept of leninism really is a uh, a, a very murky historical product of the mid-1920s soviet experience the literary debates and all the rest of it i don't know if you've seen if it's been published but Lars Lee gave a paper on um the two trotskys at last at last year's historical materialism 
where basically he looks at Trotsky's, and this this is not just um, in Russian somewhere or in some expensive book. This is on English on the MIA. Uh, Trotsky, uh, literally on the move, to, uh, writes a history of the Russian Revolution from uh, October to Brest, Brest Litovsk. It's available on the internet. You can type it in. I think it's published in 1918. It would have been Brest Litovsk. Um, and he compares and contrasts that with Trotsky writing in 1924 and the history of the Russian Revolution, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he says, "Look, you either have to go with one Trotsky." who says one thing, or you have to go with the, the and then the, the common response is, are you saying Trotsky's a falsifier, a liar, you're putting them on the level of Stalin, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not the point. But Lars says, well, are you saying that Trotsky's a liar? Because actually you have to look at these works, right? And, but the point is, I'm not trying to rip on Trotsky here. The point is that by 1924 and 25, people are doing all sorts of things in the name of the cult of Lenin, right? And, and they're trying to outdo each other, they're trying to outmaneuver each other, uh, and it's a very dirty kind of debate in that sense, right? Um, you know, you know, uh, even people that are kind of semi-related to each other, like Trotsky and Kamenev, for example, right? Um, you know, they're they're really again. There's a lot. There's a lot at stake. It's the future of the leadership of the of the party, etc. The, the the revolution's in in the, uh, big trouble. Uh, and this this massive digression or Anlauf, as we say in German, is to my point is that. You know, Leninism, um, I think, you know, if, if, if you ask me what Leninism is, it's precisely the second international model, the best uh, version of it, revolutionary social democracy uh, applied, uh, uh, not even applied to Russian conditions. Because again, if you say applied to Rus Russian conditions, that often then creates this kind of implicit <laughs> gulf between, Martov's very good on this, by the way, you'll see the text when it's done, he's uh, having a real go at the, the Western socialists for saying, you know, but that, all that's fine in Russia, but not for us. Um, so the so, so the, the the model for me, you know, to, to the extent one can speak of a model, uh, it would be that the, the the second international approach. I think the the, the best part, the healthiest part of uh, of the Bolshevik experience was based in that. Subsequently, what happens is a whole lot of stuff, uh, you know, that that kind of uh, distances itself sometimes unconsciously i think trotsky to a certain extent uh, but certainly consciously with stalin in 38 where he's literally lying in you know cutting what party historians have written on the experience of bolshevism in the second international um so i do i do still think that the the, the model is Lenin. i do still think that the model is democratic centralism uh maybe that's maybe that's a disagreement but i mean again i've I've done some work on this. I'm, I'm in the, one of my side projects, which was my lockdown project, which never really got completed, is looking at uh, uh, debates precisely on this question in the uh, Der Sozialdemokrat, uh, which was uh, 78 to 90. It was basically the, the, the anti-socialist law publication that was illegal and smuggled in. And there were a load of debates around democratic centralism there, precisely on the question of we've got these... Uh, Reichstag MPs that are the leadership of the party because they're the only ones that are legally allowed to be in the country fundamentally how do we keep them under wraps so I, you know I think I, I don't I don't know if it was a different title but I, I would certainly say that democratic centralism uh, Bolshevik model uh, it, it does apply but then you have to explain that all of these things you have to you know uh, uh, because again it's, it's often the the problem with this stuff as well is that if you if I speak to uh, uh, you know an average British leftist or a very educated British leftist, and I've had some good discussions with them, 
first of all, you've got to spend 20 minutes trying to find out which language you speak and you have to say, what do we, what do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? Right. And, uh, and that, that's, that's sometimes the problem and, it, and it's the baggage of the, uh, of what we've inherited. Now, finally, to answer your question, um, you know, what, what do you, what do you take? I, I think the key, th one thing I, I, I really think is important is organizing, uh, the class as a class. And I think it's, again, it's, it, it's linked to the ambition thing is that we are not here. We're not here to be, as Lenin says, you know, trade unionists. We're here to be partisans of the people. And, you know, and in that sense, we, you know, we not only want to organize the entire working class if we can, but we also want to win other sections of society or at least neutralize them. Right. We want that. We want to. This is the, the, the thing that we want to see. This is going somewhere. And I think that, you know, that requires a, a, a vision for the entirety of society. I was just been looking at uh, um, Rosa Luxemburg's, um, uh, what would you call it, curriculum for the party school in Berlin, right? That's the kind of thing you want. You know, it's basically, you know, this, this two weeks on Inca civilization, right? Or commodity production. It, it's, you know, I, I, it, it, this isn't this isn't something kind of that you have as an aloof in intellectual experience but it's about precisely trying to give you know nothing's too good for the working class in that sense right and it's trying to give uh, uh, some kind of vision and I, and I think that's important there are problems with that because as you grow and I'm not I'm not saying that uh, what's his name, Michel, the Iron Law of Oligarchy, his critique of the SPD is actually a very reactionary one in many ways, but clearly as an organization grows and it gets more and more people, there are problems of accountability. Even in the 1890s, there were people in the SPD, trade unionists actually, even rightist trade unionists like Legion and saying, how are, how are these people earning so much money? How are, are our deputies earning so much money? How about the, you know these people? Workers are suffering to support the organisation, and so there's, there's all sorts of problems with the, the, the bureaucracy, etc. That does require a think. But I think it's that the model is yes, it's a vision, it's a program, it's a party, but it's it aims at you know organising society and becoming you know the classic Kasekian formulation of state within the state. That's what needs to be taken away, and that needs vision, but it also needs time. Yeah, so on ambition, even even as late as the 1950s and into the 1670s, you could see, you know, the Communist Party in Great Britain, for example, would have, you know, ambition and would expand um, their members' world massively, you know, introduce them to all aspects of the world, but that's Inca civilization, which jazz, world music, you know, Aristotle, Plato, you know, I mean, We've spoken about this before. Um, you know, I constantly meet members that used to, uh, the former members of the militant who, you know, learned how to speak, learned how to write articles, learned how to be, you know, confident people in public spaces, precisely by being in um, a working class Marxist organisation. Or, you know, we could question a few, <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know, and. That has been lost, I think, from the left in terms of ambition as well. The ambition to actually to to, to build up um, not just our own um, skills, but also that of the working class. And I think um, in, in Rida's uh, review of your book, she ends in you know contrasting uh, Panakowak's uh, life with um, with Kautsky's and ends with you know at least what we can take from Kautsky is that all the way through his life he was always insistent on raising the, the level of education, the cultural quality of the working class. 
you know, so that it could take power, so it could think about being involved in politics. And when you, when you, when you get to the left today and you think this protest, that protest, this meeting, this conference, you know, we're, we're not there. And I think, uh, you know, in terms of ambition, I mean, that's what we really need, you know, we really need to, 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 to win that back somehow and to, to fight for that again. I think it also, if I can come in, I think it also relates to a, um, the, the thing is, you see, that a lot of these functions, in a sense, are carried out on some level by the workers' movement, even as one as emaciated as the, the British workers' movement today. There are trade union educationals, there are, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, uh, um, uh, what associations and things you can join and get involved in in the Labour Party, etc. But I think that one of the uh, the important things is that these in the SPD at least initially these were conceived as uh, um, self-organizational things of course you had the party in its structure they had all the money and you, you know you can put these things on but they were very much conceived as because because the SPD didn't have a stake in the state they were conceived as an anti-state you know a, a state within a state approach to education etc etc and then of course with Kautsky you can say well maybe towards the end of that suffer but it's absolutely right that uh even though that may have softened in his approach and he what does become more more status etc that was always the approach you know if, if the working class is going to rule the, the uh, society it also has to learn how to do it and that doesn't come automatically by being virtue of a worker and you know working 50 hours a week and barely get enough sleep do you know what i mean it's that that's the uh the point i think and um so I think that the, the bureaucratization, the, the the acceptance of legality as well has been a, a big thing. All of these things have come with the hollowing out of the workers' movement. And, you know, the, I think the way to, to begin to rectify it is there's no kind of answer in that sense, multiple, you know, there's multiple avenues. But I, but I do think that until it can become common sense, and I think it can become common sense relatively quickly, especially if it's successful, um, is that you know for, in order for there to be a breakthrough where we can start to train the class as a class rather than just you know people who come through and, and, and are talented or or otherwise um you know it it, it does rec it does need a a partyist project and for that to drop and that that's exactly what happened in in the, the late 19th century the germans basically got it right sometimes against the advice of marx and engels right um but, but they, they kind of got it together. They got a party together. Engels then goes away and works very hard on ensuring that it's solid theoretically and programmatically with, with allies such as Bernstein initially, Kautsky obviously. Um, and and it, were, it was copied. It was, you know, people, and this, this is actually starting to work. Why do we do that here? You know, uh, one of my, you know, I've got obviously a personal interest in in Iran, but one of the uh, uh, and, uh, and Azerbaijan and everything. But one of the um, the nice one is like a, I saw a letter from uh, uh, workers, a workers circle of like six people in Tabriz writing to Kautsky, uh, you know, say what do we do? And he's like, well, you're probably a bit like Russia, so this is what I wrote on Russia. Have a look at this. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, but it is, it's copied, it's, and it and it and it grows relatively quickly. And I I think that's the that's where I am optimistic in a sense is that if the penny can drop, if things can. Uh, a show have some sort of in a long uh, short to medium term success then it, it can be picked up especially in today's age um well, in yeah. terms of like reasons to be optimistic i'm one of like my um favorite letters by rosa luxemburg is when um 
the RSBLP, sorry, I have to think about the acronym, were founded um, in 1898. Um, she wrote, writes to Leo Yerga, says, yes, there were like 18 people, and then she says, rascals, and yet they managed. And, you know, this like little party of like 18 people, you know, by 1917, it made a revolution. And that it's kind of the lesson of like, actually, even if you have like, a small circle of committed Marxists to begin with, if they actually have a model for building a party and acquire effectively, you know, you can build yourself up in in a relatively short historical period. No, I agree. And the, the, the problem with often with that analogy then is that the, the left takes it as, oh, look, look how tiny the Bolsheviks were in April 1917. But then they suddenly came up with this great idea of peace, land and bread and, you know, of, of attracted millions of people. So there is like often the left will say, oh, yeah, we, you can do so many things with a small group of people and you can. But as you say, really, you've got to have a vision for getting bigger and not just you know the day before the revolution comes you actually have to uh, you know grow grow into that and um, you know so may- maybe maybe that's that that's starting to uh, uh, to fall through sickle through i mean i still think that it's it, these things can really only happen as a result of uh, you know one of the again one of the great legacies of the second international of the uh, theoretical journals like you know it's like open honest frank debate and polemic uh and uh, you know I, I still think that's the that that is that's kind of how we've got to get there we've got to work these things through um but i say i i'm also optimistic in that sense that uh you know there could be a potential breakthrough uh, even though it doesn't necessarily look at, uh, like it's on the immediate horizon but yeah uh, do, do we think there's a sort of um like quite a different challenge posed in today's society of how we wage that battle of ideas uh, i mean i'm i'm reminded of something i, I read called um russian babels which was uh, you know sort of examining like workers who were becoming politically radicalized in in pre-revolutionary russia and and i i think one of the things that struck me was how uh how much thirst there was for for not only revolutionary ideas but also just education in general you know these people who I guess had recently, only recently become working class, only recently moved to the city from from rural areas, and they become literate. You know, maybe the first generation of their family literate as well. Um, and there was a real thirst there for um, what little uh, revolutionary politics and ideas there were in society. You know, and they would be sharing translations of, of Marxist texts, which they would hand round uh, to each other in, in study circles, and and. I guess one of the things, uh, I, I don't have a particular kind of answer about what I think about it, but it just strikes me how different a context that is to today's society with uh, much wider literacy, much greater opportunities in some ways for, for participation in, in public life um, and whether the way in, in, in which, you know, Kautsky could set up the United site and, and have it as a regular periodical and if someone attacked him well then he'd write his response in the next issue and, and that was the kind of rhythm of it and, and whether uh, you know especially with the internet today and the different pace of public life and public discourse maybe there's some challenges there which the left hasn't quite got the grips with yet and what people think about that. 
I was kind of thinking more about the um, practicalities of like building a sort of infrastructure for that battle of ideas because I was um was looking at the Neues Zeitung more recently for something else and I found like one of their announcements and it was in 1905 and they were like bemoaning the fact that the party press only has around 600,000 subscribers and it's like we have no reason to be satisfied with the state of the party press and I was just like it, it really felt like they were like, right. humble bragging from our perspective. Because, <laughs> like, what we wouldn't give for 600,000 subscribers. <laughs> what would we give for 6,600? Even on, even on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. But that's a... Uh, it's also... I'm, I'm always, like... You know, I wonder how they did it. Because you find accounts when you, like, go through the party papers of these, like, extraordinarily successful sessions of house agitation and it's like i think there was one where it's like oh the last two sundays this party branch um recruited 500 members um through house agitation and it was like i i i, I you know many of us may have been on the labor doorstep and we've never recruited 500 members from it <laughs> um so it's it's that thing how I'm I'm incredibly like intrigued by how are how are they talking to people? How are they getting people to subscribe to their paper? How are they recruiting people into the party? Um, and how how do we do that now to to get the same results on a like similar scale? I think I think the two questions or the two points relate to each other in in many ways. I think I think the 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 underlying or the, the the common theme in both is ambition. So when you say you know when they say six hundred thousand, we've got no uh, reason to be happy or content about this state of affairs. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> you know that is, from their perspective, this is not good enough. Right, this is not good enough. You know, that when you win thirty-four percent of the vote, that's not good enough, right? When, when you know, this, this is that was the that was the whole point to, to the project. And of course, that does seem like another world, and in many ways, it is right that to, to what we're at. But that's that's kind of where we need to be. Chris raised the the the, the point about official communism. I mean, one of the things that uh, uh, Jack Corridor laughs about with me is that in France, the PCF, even during you know, politically a very questionable organization, would have organizations not just in uh, uh, districts or you know streets but actually in tower blocks they would have different cells operating within one block right? and again it's not that that's the model but it's something that you know you think that that's that's where we need to be because otherwise it isn't gonna it isn't gonna work what we're trying to do right because what we're trying to do is fundamentally overhaul <laughs> the, the existing structure of society internationally that you know if you if you don't have that that's going to be really difficult now and impossible so i think that's the that's the thing about uh, uh ambition again is you know this is how we need that deep organization with the class that doesn't come uh overnight but nor does it come i think by trying to uh how can i put this trying to start from where things are at in terms of where people are at. So this is kind of where I think comes on to Ed's point about now we have a very literate population. And I agree, what, one of the things that Kautsky uh, consistently or, or consistently marks out or defines his optimism across his life is the, what he calls the thirst for knowledge among the worker. And he says that you know, the worker comes home, he, as he would put it, has then some work, to, some time to himself, 
to read, to think, uh, etc. The peasant doesn't have that. If you're a peasant, basically, you 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 know, you're struggling all day long. You might get 20 minutes before you go to sleep, and then you're dead for eight hours, or if you're lucky, if you're lucky, eight hours, right? And then you're back at it again. So that was one of the things that that defined his uh, um, his optimism, and clearly saw it working on some level. So it was it was also then reinforced. Um, but yeah, highly literate population, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do we reach these people? Is there the same thirst of, for knowledge? Well, clearly there's not. Uh, clearly there's not because, you know, most of left-wing publications, they're not going out to the, the, even though they try to and be sold, you know, they're not going out to the majority of the people because the majority of people couldn't care less and quite rightly so. Right? It's, it's only when you... Uh, you, you can have the kind of presence that can say, okay, we're not, we're, we're not only standing in elections, we're not just knocking every four years, but we actually start to build real roots in the community as part of a bigger project, right? That, that's, that's kind of inspiring and, and can do something that then I think you can offset the, uh, the, the miseducation or the, uh, what, what would you put it? The kind of, university approach to education if you like that many people have right it's not that they're un uninterested in 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 things in life necessarily but it's a kind of you know it's it's kind of there as a purpose to get them a job or whatever and, and again that's all understandable uh and a kind of very uh what would you say stunted education and interesting things so that's what we we have to offset and 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 i think the only way to do that is precisely to not just organize uh you know educationals but organize your own universities organize your own you know your own internet platforms if you want to take it except for i mean you know your own google you know you know you, all of these base that's that's what we need to be thinking about um and, and of course that takes time but i, I so I, I don't think the thirst for knowledge is lost necessarily i just think it is one again it's another manifestation of the decline of the workers movement that you know while people generally can be quite educated in society today and know lots of things you know what's the the famous adage we know lots and lots and lots about less and less basically right so you have specialized technical education uh but you know you speak to people where i come from my family in south wales they don't know much about 1984 they don't know they certainly don't know anything about uh, churchill and uh, his role in South Wales, it's, you know, it, that's all been lost. But that, that's also a political thing, I think, that, uh, as Chris said, the hollowing out of uh, um, working working class organisations, uh, cooperatives, educational institutions, leisure facilities, you know, to, to the extent that they exist at all. Yeah. They, you know, they, yeah. So I think that kind of, it, while it's not an answer to the question, I think it's it's a way of looking at it that maybe provides some basis to, as to why things are where they are. I think there's a harder question as well. I mean, I think there is probably a, amongst most people a real thirst for knowledge to try and understand the world. But you can see this, you know, with coronavirus, people constantly read as much as they can to find out what the hell is going on. The problem is they're just not interested in reading what the socialist left are saying for a large part of the time, you know. Um, and that, that is something that we need to confront is what, what, why are we no longer relevant to their lives? You know, why, why, why are these, you know, people who spend all day after day, you know, outside workplaces, trying to sell this socialist paper or that socialist paper. They're not really interested because it's not relevant. It doesn't explain, it's not part of their lives. I think part of winning that, well, being able to build up an infrastructure of an alternative media or an alternative education or, you know, it is to be become relevant to working class people's lives again. Um, you know, I, I think about, you know, the, the, 
the world that my mother went and started into work and you know you know in Birmingham with all the industry she you know the trade unions were relevant they were there on the shop floor you know um the acts of some you know basic solidarity were just simple you just did it and then when I think now you know towards the end of you know she's retired but at the end of her career when she was uh, in nursing you know the union was this part of the bureaucracy part of this HR administration thing it was pretty much not on her side not very relevant to her life I think we've got to answer like those questions as well because you know it's one thing to say uh, I'm not accusing you of saying that then but it's one thing to say that the white class are not interested in this anymore but learning but they're not interested in us anymore and I think the problem that the left has as well is that large parts of the left are not interested in the working class anymore yeah, that, that may that may be true. I mean, uh, I, I'm not uh, I, I'm not so sure about that. But it's certainly in, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the 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 example of Birmingham, etc. I mean, that is also just concretely just a manifestation of the decline and death of the Communist Party. Actually, and again, it's not that this place this thing was amazing, but they would have the people on the floor doing the the, the grind. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and and of course, with that came the Labour left, not just organisationally, but politically. The Labour left took its ideas, still does, I think. Uh, from you know the the British road to socialism or Britain's road to socialism, so it, it, it's a it's a concrete manifestation of that. Um, I, I'm not sure about giving up on the working class. I, I mean, I do see what you mean, um, but I I think the problem is still this uh, this illusion really that we are speaking to the working class, so therefore we need to we through our attempts. Uh, let me try and put this uh, dialectically through our attempts at relevance we become irrelevant in that sense right it's like it's kind of paradoxical like, you know yeah, we have to be right, we yeah. have to be relevant uh but no one cares because you know most of the time you know if, you, if you've done a, a a working day you want to come home and do something else not think you know necessarily but oh this is this is what your working day is like what kind of this is what the tories are like yeah well people kind of know on some instinctive level that you know that's kind of how things work the point is you know what what do you do about it so i think that's so I, I, i'm not sure about the giving up on the working class thing i think it's the it's a kind of still this illusion that you know we are speaking to the working class and so the, we need to become more relevant and still you know to start where people are at and and keep kind of moving those goalposts and it, it only seals or uh, precipitates uh, the far left's irrelevance i think which you know is, again is a grand sweeping statement but i think it does uh, say yeah. something yeah <laughs> okay um so i um read a biography of carl legend recently um, well, several months ago now um but um i was very struck because he was um according to the biographer he um went to the gym a lot and anyway he um he got third place in one of the um workers contests in hamburg about in weightlifting um and then i realized that there are um records of all these um workers gymnastics competitions somewhere in archives and this is obviously i think a historical project which you could only actually do once like we've got socialism um because i just don't imagine there's funding for this <laughs> in capitalist society but i'm now just kind of become obsessed with trying to rank um basically who could take who in a fight so for example let's do kautsky versus bernstein who would fight who who'd win bernstein bernstein every, every time <laughs> 
I, I don't know why. I, I, th I think he, he's a bit shorter and a bit uh, uh, kind of more, what's the word, stocky. So I think I think you'd have a lower center of, gra center of gravity, and uh, uh, but you know the the thing about uh, the, the sports stuff that's definitely a decent project. I mean I don't know about your uh, your life and what you're doing, etc. And funding is is a real pain. I mean I tried to get funded for a Kautsky project for a long time, gave up and did something else. Uh, got my PhD, uh, but the uh, that is a, that is an, uh, an incredible project that you could do, and there are fun there are funding bodies out that you just need to. Uh, drop me an email and uh, put you in touch with some people because something like that would be amazing that would be such a such a good project i've written some articles about it uh, in the past i think one for the, the london olympics i did an article um and it, and it's literally just scratching not even the surface of this stuff it was a huge movement with uh, all sorts of incredible things so i think it would be uh, something to to put together a proposal on for sure why not Again, talking about uh, you know bringing this bringing this to the modern left, the the, the the imagination on the modern left, that would be a good one. But I don't want to you know force you down to something you don't want to do. But it seems to me like it'd be a very good idea. I mean, it's it's something that um, it, I mean, it's kind of got lost in in what happens. It, it it kind of reflects what happens to the left. It's more widely historically as well, doesn't it? Because the the workers' Olympiads, I think. The last one was meant to be in Barcelona, uh, like just on the eve of the, the Spanish Civil War, and and uh, obviously never happened. But then, uh, I don't think they they happened again after that either. No. Um, but some of our some of our comrades in the Netherlands um, uh, have have some kind of project they're doing where they all go on like country hikes and and shaft uh, or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I think. Uh, you know, it, it, it would be nice if um, we could uh, find a way to kind of discover some of those side of things that isn't just um, some kind of morning star readers group going up Kinder Scout once a year or something. You know, it'd be nice if we had something a bit that's, uh, that's actually kind of fun and, and not weird. Yeah, I mean, at least it's at least it's something, I suppose. But yeah, I, I think, uh, um, but but I think the project itself would be fantastic because it, it is just forgotten history. And 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 to bounce off what Ed just said, this is a an example not just of the ideological or political defeat of the left. This is the physical uh, destruction of the left in the 1930s. If you read uh, some of Hitler's stuff. Uh, into com communications with leading Nazis, they say the one thing that we really have to deal with, because uh, we've dealt with the SPD politically in many ways, right? They're in exile or in jail, um, but we'd have to deal with the, the sporting associations and the cultural associations. So they either destroyed them or took them over and, and took them with something else, and that that was a a, a real kind of conscious decision. Uh, because you can't, you couldn't control German society without clamping down precisely on these sporting, cultural, uh, etc. Uh, um, uh, associations. And again, just to speak to how a point I forgot actually in terms of how uh, they spoke to people. You have to remember there was something like 120, 140 daily publications of the SPD. One of which, again, I put this in my Haller book as a joke, was the Free Female Gymnast. Uh, right, uh, die freie Turnerin, I think it was uh, it was called, and uh, you know, so it's just this incredibly like special interest 
uh, 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 you know, magazines that would go into all sorts, not just one sport, but certain people playing a certain sport or engaged in a certain activity. You know, that again, that's, it's not that you, today you would probably produce 140 different daily newspapers, but you would actually at least have that as some kind of aim in terms of an audience and, and publication. So the work of sport thing to me is, is really like a, an open goal in terms of uh, important research. And if somebody could do it, that would be fantastic. Uh, and it's not that you, you know, it might be difficult to get funded, but it would be a, certainly a, a fantastic project to do uh, because no, not many people uh, know much about it, including me, and I've written on it. Yeah. The, other, the other one I like is that the Austrian workers team beat the official Austrian team once. I can't remember when it was in football. Uh, that that happened. Uh, so that was the, the, the workers team beat the bourgeois team. But there we go. I remember um, reading um, in my um, undergraduate dissertation research. There was um, this gymnast club in um, Berlin, Fichte, and then basically all their members kind of became council communists during the German Revolution and a lot of them were martyred in 1919 and I just found that like absolutely fascinating um, because actually I think in, in the early 1900s you did have basically you'd have people who were not um, they weren't formally SPD members but they were members of the workers gyms and workers sports clubs and this had this important politicizing effect on them and there was this kind of idea that you know you kind of get them through the choirs and the gyms and they will become good party members and I think it's that that kind of loss of culture amongst them um, workers organizations and that kind of loss of the like broader milieu of like you know cultural party life which kind of brings bring sort of people who don't see themselves as like, you know, political activists into political activity is like really tragic. Not everybody's interested in politics all the time either. That's the other thing is that, you know, there's this political involvement and there's political involvement. But if you have literally a movement of, you know, the class as a whole, people are going to come in and out and, you know, you are going to be able to recruit and train the most interested, the most talented, etc. And an organized, you know, at least they're going to give you your vote. At least they're going to, you know, maybe get, get their family out to vote, you know, etc. So they're going to be in part of, of some way. And obviously the more active, the better. But you know, we, we shouldn't kind of have this view that, you know, every, the, the goal is to, you know, have everyone as a kind of, you know, a uh, trot paper seller. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, 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 that's not how the world works. It, you know, you need to, uh, uh, to be, to be a, a real force. And I think that's a good point is that, you know, you, even if you weren't particularly pro social democratic, and again, this is the stuff I'm reading about in Hamburg and the Hamburg uh, uh, um, pubs, you know, the, the, some people with all sorts of ideas, but they would be, they, they would have someone they're drinking with who's an SPD member or, you know, or very close to them or, you know, they'd be playing football, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the point. So it's not just turning up at the doorstep every once in a while, who the hell are you? You actually know through people in your community and probably in your family, given the, the, the sheer numbers they had. Uh, and that, it's that kind of, you know, constant, what, what does Lars Lee call it? 
permanent campaignism, right? That uh, that uh, we, we, we you're engaged, uh, you know, on some level. Uh, and I, as I put it, uh, David Broder asked me a question for Jacobin: Is it better to? He said, "What about active and passive engagement of workers in these institutions?" And my response: Well, it's definitely better to have passive engagement in a working class institution than than uh, than passive in in you know official uh, hollowed out bourgeois state structures of sport and culture and education. Yeah, that definitely preferable from from our point of view right so sorry chris um uh, i i think what it brings to mind for me as well is something we spoke about earlier which is the, the the sort of the the optimism and and the ambition um of the the of the second international and and the socialist movement um in in the sort of pre-first world war period um because you know part of the part of the kind of um, the thinking behind these these workers sport movements and and workers you know initiatives is is not only kind of let's let's get together and have a good time on on a Saturday morning, but it's it's also like the day is coming when we are we are going to rule society. Like all all of us are going to uh, be emancipated and we're going to rule society, and and, and we want to. Um, raise the, our kind of collective level in, in the expectation of that day, right? You know, and, and we want to be physically healthy, we want to be physically fit for, for the struggle, but we also want to be, you know, like ready and prepared and, and be in the best possible position to enjoy what comes afterwards. And, 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 and obviously with the kind of, with the absolutely powerless state that the left is in right now, historically, that, you know, that optimism and that, uh, ambition that yes, you know, we we can completely overturn society and uh, capitalist society, and, and we can uh, reshape it in uh, in the interests of all. That that's really been lost, and and I guess it just makes me think about what can be done to arrest that decline. You know, what what the appropriate way of conducting yourself is, way you kind of know that you know the movement's been through decades and decades of, of retreats um do you just have to kind of put on a brave face and say yeah despite everything you know our day is still coming uh, and this is how um or or is there a more kind of you know is there a way of steering into it which, which doesn't you know doesn't kind of uh you know because the, the the left is right now really kind of infected by this over overweening pessimism about you know the environment and and uh, the the kind of human extinction is on the horizon kind of discourse and and you know, the the environment and and what's going to happen with climate change is incredibly serious. Um, but it, it strikes me that the way that we're approaching it um, and the way that we're just slipping into this kind of despair is 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 not going to change anything at all. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of that, certainly a lot of doom mongering um, across the whole left. Um, it's kind of, when we when we named our magazine, um, when we came up with Prometheus as the name for the journal, you know, we, we, we knew that like to recapture a kind of a spirit of upright optimism that humanity can overcome its problems, can, you know, shape the world around it to for the better of everyone and to overcome the problem of climate change and all the problems that we are facing now in terms of uh, ecological destruction. And, um, the left falls back constantly onto, you know, 
despair really and trying to get the very minimum of um, what can be achieved. Um, you know, even so far, you know, these Extinction Rebellion uh, protests, you know, what are they after really? What they're after is a green austerity. You know, so we're going to go out onto the streets and we're going to go and knock on doors and say, vote for us, you're going to have less. <laughs> Your life is, you're not going to be able to travel as much. You know, but really, we, we should be saying, you know, the technology is out there for everyone to enjoy a really good life without actually damaging the planet in the way that we are damaging it. Um, I think we have to, especially on that front, we really need to push hard against uh, the doom mongering and the, uh, the idea that humanity can't find a way through this, so the, you know. Yeah, I just I think something. You know, the only thing you can say with something like Extinction Rebellion is that you know there are probably a lot of people. You know, this is this is their political moment, right? I mean, this this is be you know, and mine was two thousand and three. I'm sure that was similar for some of you as well. Uh, not you, Riddick, <laughs> but maybe it was. You would have been quite young. Uh, but uh, the. Um, you know, and all I'm saying is that you know there's going to be these movements, and and the tragedy is that you know that they don't have they don't have solutions in that sense. But I I, I do think that you can understand them on at least on that level. This is where they're this is where they're at. This is this is their their, their political activism. This is this is what's on offer fundamentally, right? I mean, I probably would be in it now to be honest. With you, if I was if I was 18 again or whatever. Seriously, I mean, it's so it's not that you don't engage with it it's not that you uh, don't criticize these things etc it's just yeah, i think we have to put it in, in in a certain context and you know fundamentally it's up to it's up to the left it's that that's that's the point i think and you know in terms of you know the the physical readying for this i still think you just need what what's absolutely necessary at the forefront is to say well yes we do want to fundamentally overturn society that will probably involve some difficult decisions in terms of the environment etc etc but that should be the plan um, because you know, on climate change, I, I, I'm not so sure that it will be that, that straightforward. Actually, even if you know relatively quickly, uh, um, you know we can we can uh, uh, take. So this is this is doom mongering on my part. It's just that you know th this is a huge question, um, and it you know it, it, I think even under in you know, socialism, it would be a, it would be a difficult question to deal with, right? And it would involve uh, uh, a lot of thinking, and I'm sure a lot of discussion. Uh, it could even be one of the things that actually, you know, civil war in uh, in 1970, 1918, 2021, it could be that that kind of question that actually puts a lot of strain on a socialist administration in the future. I think we have to be clear about that as well as you know, what exactly can be done. Are there difficult choices to be made? Um, I don't really see that the left is doom-mongering in, in, in the sense that they, they, there's not an alternative. They would, they would say, you know, that, okay, everything's crashing down, join the socialists or whatever. Um, but, I, but I think the, uh, the point would be is that, you know, the point I would make, and, and, and I think it was, it was made uh, uh, by Daniel Dare this week in The Weekly Worker, is that, you know, it actually shows you the importance of the maximum program from our perspective. It's not just about, and, and, and the kind of urgency of the maximum program, it's not just about the working class taking power internationally, is that, you know, the maximum program it, it isn't just something we should think, oh, well, maybe in 50 years, 100 years we can get there. It's actually... We kind of need that in 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 a relatively short period of time because these are the the, the questions that need to be addressed. So I, I, maybe there's a, there's a slight nuance difference there. I, I do think that the, the, the climate question is is potentially uh, 
uh, you know, uh, bigger than than we than we imagine. But maybe that's just the effect of you know the, the recent weeks, uh, half of the west coast of America uh, burning down, etc. Uh, but you know, I, I do think it, it is a big problem also for uh, you know future socialist uh, uh, continents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's um, yeah. I think I would sort of um, counter this idea of doom-mongering by suggesting it's actually okay to be apocalyptic. In terms of like, like you know, the 1914 anti-war left very much saw the kind of breakout of World War One as something that was, you know, an absolutely devastating rupture, something that meant that everything they had been doing up until now had to be changed and i don't like i think the climate crisis for our times is you know something of um it's of similar magnitude to that it is it is a question of whether you know millions of people are going to live in uninhabitable areas whether millions of people are going to lose their lives and homes in floods and fires and storms and so on um and i think it's actually it's actually healthy for you know committed socialists to stress the stakes of that question and say that you know it's not that the world is going to end but we have you know we have we we have an alternative and we have to we have to fundamentally overhaul everything about our society um if we if we were to like come out of this sort of if we you know if we want to come out of of a kind of apocalyptic end time <laughs> i absolutely agree with that. I, I, yeah i i agree with that as well it's 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 what solutions uh connected to the the you know you, you can have a very uh pessimistic and and severe assessment of the situation and then it's it, it what's relevant really is what solutions are appended to it, you know and, and so just as in the first world war that any socialist with their head screwed on said you know president wilson isn't going to solve this uh no number of bourgeois pacifist you know, conferences are going to solve this it, it, it's going to be solved by uh, taking on the ruling class, turning it into a civil war, um, and and yeah, so I, I I think it's about us having those answers and and thinking about what actually needs to be done so that we don't fall into a trap of you know just uh, demanding that um, the ruling class take the more, the problem more seriously and act more responsibly in in the interests of, of generations to come because that that isn't going to cut it right. Yeah, you think just of, in terms of Ritter's point, you do think of uh, um, the the Babel strategy, which in, I think in terms of uh, maybe in terms of Marx's economics was questionable, but that this whole idea of the der große Kladderadach, which was the you know the great collapse, which was coming. Uh, you know, looking back, in a sense, that was completely vindicated because there was you know, the, the, what they called the, the Ur-Katastrophe of the 20th century was the 1914. And it had been predicted, uh, you know, it, with Babel, I think it was, you, see, you saw it more as an economic thing. 
but they had been predicting the war for a long time. And it was based, Babel's some of his last speeches are saying, look, this big collapse is coming. This apocalyptic moment, if you like, is coming. And you're responsible for it. We're the ones that actually want to do something against it. So I, 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 do, I, I do agree with the point about, uh, you know, the raising, stressing the urgency uh, of, of the situation is not then necessarily to, to do manga if, you, if you've got a project. And in that sense, you can accuse all of us on the left of doom-mongering insofar as we don't have a project that's viable, etc. So, uh, but I, but I do think the, the, the being a, there is a, uh, an argument to being apocalyptic here because I, I do think the questions are serious. Cool. Okay. Um, shall we begin to bring this to a close? Thank you so much, comrades. Thank you for the 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 review, Rita. Really appreciated it, and um, thank you for having me on. Number one, you know. Number one, yeah. The founding, yeah, the founding fathers and mothers of Kautsky Cast. Oh, yeah. Thank you yeah. for thank you for coming on and. Uh, Pleasure. It's been an excellent discussion. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.